Yeah, this is uh, part two of Sex is Fire. Yeah, um, catchy title, right? Um, the issue is that uh, the Bible does treat sex as fire. Um, it happens throughout the scriptures. We looked at a couple of places last week where that metaphor is kind of used to capture what sex is. It's beautiful, it's powerful, but you know what? It's dangerous too. Um, and so the question last week is what kind of fire is sex supposed to be? And we, we had this image of um, kind of like a campfire where um, it's, it's warm and it's bright. The, the night is dark and cold and it's a place where um, genuine, deep, intimate connection happens, where comfort happens, um, where closeness happens, where commitment happens. And, and, and when sex is right, when it's, when, it's, when it's done the way it's intended to be done, uh, what people experience around that campfire is gratitude. It's a sense of, of joyful receiving of what God's given. It's not, it's not going after. It's not, it's not chasing after something new, something fresh, something more exciting, something, you know, uh, more hot, hotter. Right, and and the thing was, we we said uh, one of the things the culture does is the culture uh, treats sex differently. Sex isn't a warm, bright fire in the culture. Sex is an inferno. Sex is a raging fire that can't be stopped. It consumes and it consumes and it consumes. Today, Paul is going to explain a little bit about what that looks like. And we're going to be honest about what that looks like. For some of you, it'll be a warning. Don't go this way. For others of you, it'll be a call to repentance and confession. This is not where life is supposed to be. And if that's who who you are today and that's where you are today, there's good news in this text. This text offers an escape route. So let's um, read uh, the text. I've included last week's text in this, um, and this is a contemporary translation. If you want to follow in your New King James in the Pew Bible, it's uh, page 619. This is Ephesians uh, 5, um, 5 to 7. And so you can kind of see where I've made some some little adjustments. But really, all I'm doing is just updating uh, the language so it really hits us where we are. So you hear it the same way that the Ephesians would have heard it in their culture, in our culture now. And this is what it says. Paul says to the Ephesians, you can be sure of this. Nobody who regularly participates in extramarital sex, rampant sexual exploration, or sexual greed, which is idolatry, has any inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and in the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived by anyone's empty words to the contrary because God's wrath comes down, is coming down, right now, on the children of disobedience on account of these things. Don't do life with these kinds of people. Really the hard thing about sex for us is that um, as in most cultures, but especially post-Christian and, and neo-pagan cultures, um, sex is, is, we're lied to about it all the time. All the time. Uh, and, and really, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a lie of omission for the most part. So when you watch James Bond movies, who is the worst person to be in a James Bond movie? I'll tell you, the Bond girl. Because she is going, <laughs> number one, she's not going to be in the next film. She, <laughs> uh, n- number two, you might even wonder if she kind of feels like maybe, um, maybe James isn't really in it for her. Um, 
And yet, what's so interesting about James Bond movies, and really any, any example from the culture, is, is, that, is that that part of the relationship gets missed. We just, we just edit that out. It's left on the editing room floor. Let's not see what happens when we actually live in this inferno. Let's not actually see what happens when the inferno consumes and rages and burns and burns. Why? Why? Because our post-Christian culture is committed to the belief that the inferno is really just a bunch of harmless sparks. Harmless sparks. It's just a little fun. It's exciting. It's new. It draws you in. It's joyful. And we live in a culture, a post-Christian culture, which it wonders what evil is, right? And so our culture has, has, has taken all of the content out of evil and reduced it to just this notion that the only thing that's evil is something that hurts other people, right? So as long as you're not hurting anyone else, whatever you're doing is fine. And then the culture says, well, everyone wants to have more sex. More, there's that desire is deep within us. And so what the culture does is it edits out the part where that hurts us and hurts others to make it something that's good. We're going to talk a little bit about what that actually looks like um, in our lives. But before we do, I think we need to understand why it looks like this. You see, the reason uh, that James Bond is attractive to us and the reason that we don't see behind the veil um, is because we don't usually fundamentally understand how the universe works. We, we have a, a kind of anemic or less than, than, it's not deep, it's a shallow vision of the universe. And, and the truth about the universe is that it is structured in a very specific way. It's structured even on the very being and nature of God. The God who created this place has created it to be like him in some very interesting ways. And, and I put it this way in your note sheets. The Trinitarian structure of the universe guarantees that the inferno will burn us and others. The Trinitarian structure of the universe guarantees that the inferno will burn us and others. See, the way the universe works is it's got this uh, kind of deep structure, and we, in, we know this intuitively. We know it intuitively, and it's really based on the notion that God, in God's self, is both one and many, and we've talked about this before, but the idea is that God has within God's self variety, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Son is not identical to the Father in some ways. The, the Son has different roles in the Father, and yet, because of the, the bond of the Spirit, the, the, the triune God is one, and so there's, this, there's an element of oneness to, to God, and there's an element of variety or threeness to God. Likewise, the universe has this same kind of element where there's variety in what the universe we, we experience in the universe, but there's also uniformity. And so the way that this kind of plays out in just our day-to-day life is if you're like me, you like to go uh, to the beach and you like to surf. When I go to surf, um, I'm always worried that um, the tide's going to be too high or too low. Right? If the tide's too low, then when I fall off the board, which is very frequently, I'm going to end up with a whole lot of cuts and possibly something worse because I uh, tend to go to Doheny when I'm going solo. And Doheny has like a bunch of sharp, they, they call it the boneyard for a reason. And so when you, when you fall off into the boneyard, uh, it impales you. Well, that's not a problem if the tide isn't super, super low. If the tide's like in the middle, we're, we're in a good place. But here's the problem. What if the tide's too high? Right? If the tide's too high, then uh, it, it kind of makes it so that the waves kind of, they don't actually break. And so they just kind of, or they're really tiny, crumbly, you know, not good waves, right? And so those waves don't, uh, 
They're not that great. So we don't want a super high tide. We don't want a super low tide. Uh, we want something right in the middle. But notice the way that tides work, right? Tides work, they, 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 sometimes they're really, really high. Sometimes they're really, really low. But the tide always comes in. The water never stops coming in. There's like this law there. There's variety in how the tides work, but there's also a law that it's always going to come in. Similarly, um, you know, the rains here in Southern California, it's been so long, but apparently sometimes water falls from the sky and it's called rain. Um, (laughs) And what's so interesting is, you know, we can go for long, long stretches without rain, right? There's this variety of how long it's going to be until the next rain, you know. For some of us, it's like, never. And others are like, please, Uh, But the thing is, the rain always comes. There's a law there. And that law doesn't get broken. Likewise, everything that happens uh, elsewhere, even in our own lives, has this same principle in it, where there's variety in how things work, and and time and space and, and difference. But it always, the bill always comes due. The tide always comes in. The rain shows up. There's variance in how it happens. But the structure remains. If I were to translate Romans 6.23, I would say not the wages of sin is death. I would say the wages paid by sin are death. The rhythm is not only in the tides and the rains in the natural world. It's also in the way that sin works in our hearts and in our lives. Straight up, one way or another, the bill will come due and the consequences of sin, which are death, will show up in your life. When we say death... We don't just mean spiritual death. That's not the only thing Paul talks about. He is talking about that, and it does mean uh, the wages of sin will put you in uh, eternal um, damnation in hell. You will be sent that way if you do not have the blood of Jesus Christ covering you. That's true. But death is deeper than that. It's not just what happens in the next life. It's what happens in this life. And you might be able to get away with it for a long, long time. The tie, you might be wondering, when's the tie going to come in? When's it going to come in? When's it going to come It will come in. The next few things I'm going to tell you is stuff that you already know. You in, you've intuited it. Maybe I'm just giving uh, some words, an articulation uh, to what you already know deep within your heart about sexual sin, about the inferno. I just want to share with you a few things that happen when you engage, when you get burned, and when you burn others with different versions of the inferno. I I don't have the exact statistics um, because people disagree, but uh, something like 90% of young men will have viewed hardcore pornography by the time they are 21 years old. I've uh, seen internet message boards about what happens uh, to these young men. And what, what happens is the inferno takes hold of their heart and, and what was exciting to them um, at, at the beginning uh, becomes less and less exciting to the point that pornography uh, has to be more extreme and more violent and more weird in order 
to affect us. It literally desensitizes people to sex. Which is to say nothing of what happens in a marriage um, when pornography is a part of it. Um, I have a friend, uh, we'll call him Billy. I went to seminary with Billy. On the night uh, that Billy got married, he um, consummated his marriage. And after his wife fell asleep, he went upstairs and he looked at more internet pornography. Because it had a hold of his heart. Because the fire was raging and it could not be stopped. During the course of his seminary career, uh, Billy and his wife had a tremendous challenge, tremendous difficulty, as they tried to reconcile what it looked like um, for her to feel like he was cheating in some ways. Billy's doing really well, by the way. Uh, let, let, it, let it be said that there's always healing. There's always a way out. We'll talk about that uh, at the end of the message. But we do need to be honest about the inferno. Not only that, of course, uh, pornography objectifies men and women. It turns them into objects of uh, pleasure rather than um, people, uh, means rather than an end. And let's say, to say nothing, of, of course, of the, um, the fact that pornography is an industry and we live in a capitalist society, which means that there is a demand for people to perform in pornography. So when people are uh, you know, looking and engaging in pornography, they're supporting a system that encourages the sex trade. Uh, it's a true fact. Um, and it is encouraging um, women and men to um, live less than healthy lives. But they don't want you to see that in the movie, do they? they don't, James Bond, they want to they keep that behind the veil, right? We don't want to look at all of the impacts of, of what goes on with sex. What we really want to do is just have that one hot, wonderful moment. We're there together and it's perfect. The culture needs to keep that away from you because if you saw the truth and if you, it was right in front of you, you'd run far, far away. Casual sex, um, serial monogamy, these are uh, rampant in our culture. Again, sex becomes not uh, an instrument of safe intimacy, not a warm, bright fire, not a campfire around which people come together. Instead, it becomes a form of self-pleasure. As one partner is exchanged for the next... How is intimacy even possible when two people may never see each other again and don't expect to? How do people respond psychologically when that's their experience of sexuality, insecurity, self-doubt, and alienation? But you won't see that in the next James Bond movie. Infidelity, we all know how that damages families, damages children, damages marriages. To say nothing of abuse, uh, incest. The way that people even understand or view what their sexual life is or can look like gets radically damaged. So that intimacy becomes impossible. And I haven't even mentioned pregnancy and disease. We've got statistics on all of this stuff. You can look it up. Um, 
we we have even some information on uh, how you know uh, gay and lesbian relationships that are even monogamous aren't really monogamous, especially for uh, gay men. Um, now it's uh, the the standard for a, um, a homosexual male relationship now is not monogamy, but it, it's not monogamous. It's monogamish, uh, where it's understood that um, that it's there's just going to be something on on the side. And I wonder, I wonder how that, how that damages, how that hurts, how that breaks people. This is the truth about the inferno. It does not lead to happiness, joy, or satisfaction. Instead, it will burn you. And it will not just burn you, but it will burn people that you love or people that other people love. But boy, we like to try and get away with it, right? How long? How long can I, can I play with this fire? I remember last week I told the story of, of that, that fire in, in our fort. How, how, many, how many leaves uh, can we burn and make it just a little bit bigger without getting burned? How many more sticks can we put on the flames before they finally jump off and leap into our laps and really hurt us? How far can we go before the inferno becomes an inferno? It might take a while in some cases. But the universe is structured such that it will come get you just as surely as the tide comes in and as surely as the rains will fall. Which makes me wonder, why doesn't God save us by extinguishing the fire? Think about this. Think about this. You, you, you know somebody, um, maybe in some way you yourself are, are caught up in an inferno, Right? And you sit there and you wonder, you know this person who, who sits there and, and, and wonders, how can I get out? God, why won't you come and douse this flame? Because it's burning me up. I know it is. I know that I am broken right now. God, please come douse this flame. Look at this text. This is so fascinating. Don't be deceived by anyone's empty words to the contrary because God's wrath comes down. Literally, this is present tense. Is coming down right now. It's happening on the children of disobedience on account of these things. God's wrath. We think, we tend to think that the wrath of God is something like, um, you know, God punishing people for what they do with their sex, right? Um, so I, I've heard in the past people will say things like um, disease is God's punishment on rampant inferno sex. That's not true. That's not actually the truth. Uh, God's not out there like looking for people and being like, ah, I'm going to squish you because of what you're doing. That's not how God operates. Uh, when, when Paul talks about God's wrath, he is always, always talking about well, God's wrath in the here and now, in this, in this life. He is always talking about this, 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 uh, this cycle that God, that God um, allows to happen. Uh, let me just read to you a couple things. This is from Romans 1, where he really gets into God's wrath. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed, we're showing God's wrath, from heaven against all ungodliness and right, unrighteousness of men. And how is it revealed? He tells us three times. In verse 24, he said, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Gave them up. He's talking about sexual sins, by the way. In, again, in verse 26, For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. In verse 28, therefore God gave them over 
to a debased mind, to do those things which are not fitting. This is God's wrath on us. It's God sitting there and watching the fire start to spread. And instead of whipping out the divine fire extinguisher and spraying it, it's God saying, okay, if you want to play with fire, I'll let you. You want to see what happens? Okay. You're not going to like it. But I'll let you try. God's justice, his desire for us to be free, I wouldn't say forces, but encourages God to allow us to misuse what we've been given. And then allows us to face the consequences and, most tragically, allows those around us to face the consequences of that activity. Occasionally, in an amazing act of grace, God will put out the fire. For the most part, he lets it burn. And that should be an incredible warning to us when we're thinking about going down these paths, seizing these things, it should be a warning that that's a really bad idea. And if we do it, if we do it, chances are he's going to let us. But God doesn't do nothing. God does not extinguish the fire. Instead, he informs our escape. God does not leave us lingering in the flames. He does not wait until we are burned up. He does show us a way out. He says, here is your escape route. Take it. And he does it in this text. The day before uh, seventh grade started, I was, uh, I was fast asleep, and I was very excited because my father uh, was the, the history teacher at our school, at Stony Brook Christian School. I went there, um, and at the time, my dad was my teacher. He taught me from 7th grade to 8th grade, uh, U.S. history, and, or world history, and then U.S. history. And I liked my dad, uh, which is, you know, maybe a little, uh, it's strange in this culture, you know, to kind of like your father. Or maybe I just hadn't got to the place where I realized that I was, you know, didn't need him or whatever. But I was still young enough that I really idolized my dad. And, uh, and, and so I, I was pretty excited, I was pumped up. And I, I was really excited the day before. I was working and, you know, running around, going crazy. I was knocked out, totally out cold. I was sleeping so hard. And yet, and yet, at some point in the middle of the night, um, I wake up, and my, and my mouth is just so dry. I'm like, this is weird. Uh, so I get up, and I go, and I, I get a couple of glasses of water. I go right back to sleep. And, like, and then suddenly, Thomas, get out! Thomas, get out! Come downstairs now! Get out, please! Run! Door sl- Runs open. My, my father is there. My, my mother is there. Like, get out now. So I, I'm, I'm running, and I'm very warm, which is very strange. I'm very, very warm. Um, and my mouth is dry again. And, um, and so I, 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 I'm not thinking because I'm, I'm so, uh, you know, so I'm running right after them. And we run out to the street. I'm, you know, I, I think I'm in my underwear. I think my mom, like, gets clothes for me to, to uh, which is a very bad thing to do in a fire. Uh, and, and so to, so I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm looking. I'm like, what's going on? I have no idea what's going on. No idea. And then I start to see smoke coming out of our, our garage. Um, and it's, it's, it's pluming out. And then uh, our next door neighbor, Glenn, he uh, wisely has a fire extinguisher. 
in, in his home. So he brings that over. And they, uh, they, they, they lift open the garage and just, just billowing black smoke pours out. And I, I mean, I might be making this up. Glenn runs in like, you know, hero. You know, fire extinguisher all over the place. Um, I've only seen my dad cry like twice. But one was that night. About three in the morning. The fire department had come and they'd, they'd gotten out. What had happened was um, the day before, uh, my dad in the Ford Explorer, my mom had run over some tar. And so he had cleaned off the tar with a rag and he'd thrown it in, in the garbage can. And at night, it had spontaneously combusted. Um, a really small smoldering fire. And it was in the garage and the garage was sealed. And so uh, it, was, it was using up all the oxygen in um, the garage. And so uh, when, when I ran down outstairs, uh, down the stairs to get out, um, I was going to go out through the garage, but my mom said no. And the reason was that the doorknob was, was white hot. And it was because the, um, the, the oxygen had, had sucked out and the, the door was even bowed in. And so if you've seen Backdraft, if we'd opened that door, the whole house would have been consumed. We were that close. And, and knowing this, um, the, the firefighter, having explained this to my father, he, um, he, he began to cry because we were, he was this close to losing everything. Do you notice, do you notice, that he didn't yell, Thomas, get up, get up, get a bucket of water and put out that fire. That's not what he said. He didn't say, he didn't say Thomas, uh, get, get up, I want you to um, get like, soak a towel and then find the flame and then, and then, over it, right? Or he didn't say, Tom, get yourself wet and then roll around on the ground wherever you see flames to, to put them out. That's not how he handled that situation. Instead, he said, get out now. You are in danger. You can lose everything. You are going to die if you don't get out. This is exactly why God doesn't put the divine fire extinguisher out and just, no. What God says is, get out of the burning building. It is going to consume you. Run! Look at the text. For you can be sure of this. Nobody who regularly participates in these things. It's interesting. Paul changes the word. For, in the previous two verses, he's talked about the nouns for extramarital sex and rampant sexual exploration, sexual greed. Now he talks about people who do it regularly. He, he, uses, he uses these words and makes them about people. And the reason he does that is he wants to, to explain to us that there, there are people out there, and we've all met them, and sometimes we've been them, people who are literally characterized top to bottom by their commitment and the re- relentless pursuit of the inferno. This is who they are. They are extramarital sex people. They are sexual exploration people. They are greedy, sexually greedy people. They are addicted. That is the summing up of who they are. Don't be that. Don't regularly participate. Step away. Friends, I've, I've been um, with people. I walked with Bobby, uh, Billy, uh, as he was trying to uh, navigate um, addiction to pornography. And let me tell you, it was not like he had this moment where he's like, Aha, I'm free. Instead, it was a long process. As he developed accountability with people, as he changed his, his, his patterns, his practices, as, he, as, he, as it was torn out of his heart, he went from somebody who regularly participated in this sin to somebody who battled it. That's step number one. Fight. 
It's better to be defined by your struggle than by the sin. Be defined by your battle with it, not its command over you. And don't be deceived, Paul says, by anyone's empty words to the contrary. You know, in Ephesus, um, they, in, in the ancient Near East, they had these, um, these people, we talked a little bit about it last week, where they, they believed um, that, uh, that, that sex was a transcendent form of worship. And the reason that they thought this was they thought that the body had no value. Um, and, and so the body was just something that you were waiting to escape. And sometimes we even get a little of this in, in, in I think, aberrant Christian um, th- thinking about, about heaven, where it's like we just think that we're just this soul, and the whole point of, of life is to die, and the soul can escape and go to heaven. That is not how the Bible pictures human life. Human life is always embodied. It's all, the, the, the soul is always integrated into a physical person. And so what happens in the body matters deeply. The culture, our culture, goes the opposite way. They, they, in the ancient world, the Gnostics, they thought that the soul is just, you know, the only thing that matters in the body, like, do whatever you want with it. In, in our culture, um, they don't believe in a soul at all, and instead, you're just an animal. Right? You are nothing more than a biological machine. And you are tuned to have tastes for sex. And there's nothing more to you than that. You are reduced to your desire. And so what you ought to do is satisfy it. You're nothing but an animal anyway. So burn. It'll be great. Don't buy that lie. If you internalize that, you are on the way to the inferno. Instead, recognize, recognize that what you do in your body has tremendous impact in how you think, how you see, how you relate to people. How you treat your body has a direct impact on your soul. For those of you who have been damaged by the inferno, if you can remember it, if you can remember what the damage has done to you, you will never want to go back because you know how bad it is. Instead, don't buy that lie. Remember that sex is a warm, bright fire and it nourishes you with your wife or your husband and it keeps you warm in a dark, cold night. And when you're around that fire, you will experience deep gratitude for what you've been given and how good it is. That's the truth. So don't be someone who regularly participates. Battle. If you're caught up in the inferno, fight it. Fight it. Be defined by that struggle until you're given victory. And, and while you're in it, step two, don't be deceived. Don't, don't buy into the, the fact that you're just, a, you're just an animal, just out there, you know, exchanging fluids. That's not the truth. The truth is, is that you are deeply made, deeply made, structured to have sex a certain way in your life. We all are. Hold on to that. And the last thing, And by far, I think, the most important, don't do life with those kinds of people. If you look in the New King James, it it just doesn't, for us in contemporary English, it's hard. It says, don't don't be partakers with them. Don't be sharers with them. Don't, Don't be intimately in communion and community with people like this. 
And, and, and the idea, of course, is that instead you should be deeply in communion and in community with people like this. People who recognize the truth about sex. People who are battling when they're in the inferno. People who have been given victory over the inferno. People who recognize the inferno for what it is and don't buy a lie about it. Notice, notice, um, I said do life there. Um, I'm trying to really pick up on the communion, the union aspect of partakers in, in that word. Um, there, there's a difference. There's a difference. You, you look, you got to go to work. I get it. Um, that's challenging. Uh, and then there's going to be people at work who are not um, good Christian folks. And you're going to be forced to sit with them and talk to them about the NFL, which apparently is, there's going to be some games and we'll get done soon so you can go check them out. Where you're you're going to you're gonna have to be with those people. You're going to hang out with them, right? Hang out. That's what we say in contemporary culture. We hang out with people. There's a lot of people in your life you're going to have to hang out with. And that's great. That's good. Those are all missional opportunities. And you know what? People, it, they're a gift to us to, to, to see other people. And, and hanging out is a good, great thing. There's there's a difference between hanging out and doing life. There is a difference between spending time with people and doing life with them. When we're pushing small groups, we're pushing, and when we're pushing community and family at this church, we're not just pushing hanging out with people. We're pushing do life with people. Change your life with these people. They are headed in the same direction as you are. They believe in the same things that you believe in. They believe this is the good. This is the valuable. This is what's worthwhile. And they want to bring you with them. Don't regularly participate in these things. If you do, they will consume you. Don't be deceived by the lies, the way that the culture omits and doesn't show you the dirty laundry underneath when they tell you their, their lies and their movies and their songs and their books and their whatnot. Instead, know the truth about what the inferno is and know the truth about what the, the warm, bright fire is supposed to be. And then, and then find people to do life with who agree with you. So Billy, um... He, uh, we're, we're in the small group. My buddy Mike and I, we started this small group because we just wanted to hang out with guys. Um, and it was fascinating. Uh, Billy came, he was one of the first guys in the small group in seminary. And, um, and the first day we're sitting there and Mike had prepared like some uh, devotional or whatever. And, and Billy's like, before you do that, I need to tell you a few things. And he just tells this tragic story. And by the end, he's weeping. And he's like, and I don't know what to do. At the time, he'd been married for maybe six months, and it was just like the number one thing in their marriage. And Mike's like, well, I guess our small group's going to change a little bit. We're going to be focusing on this. But Billy, we're going to be here with you. And we're going to battle this with you. And you're going to be accountable to us. And we're going to be accountable to you. You're going to stop regularly participating. You're going to fight. And there's actually, a, if, if for, for those of you guys who are interested in this, there are actually apps out where you can get your accountability partner who will you know, get a, get a uh, well, talk to me later. Uh, and, and then you're not going to buy in to this lie about what, that this doesn't hurt you. This is fine. Instead, you're going to hold out for you the vision of what your marriage could be when it's clean. And then you're going to do life with us. And we're going to hold you up. Billy got out of the inferno.
He's a pastor now um, in the Midwest. Uh, and I hear from him every once in a while. And he still has victory. He's out. His marriage has been healed and repaired. I can tell a bunch of stories like that of different types of sexual sins and different types of victory. But the bottom line is this. If you are caught in the inferno, escape now. Today's your day. Come talk to me about whatever it is. I'm not going to be shocked. I'm really not. Um, <laughs> I've, I've had several um, Christian friends come out to me, um, come out of the closet to me. Uh, I've had uh, friends talk to me about um, diseases that they've uh, caught. I've had, um, th- you will not shock me. Okay? And you know what? You're not going to shock God either. This is a place of grace. God is a God of grace. And he will not let you linger. He is calling right now, saying, get out. Thomas, come downstairs. Get out of the house. Come down. And if that's you, come talk to me. Come talk to another. And we'll, we'll, we'll escape together. Some people never get out of the inferno. That's true. And there's a word of judgment for them, but there's also a word of grace. Come back next week, we'll talk about it. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are people that easily get trapped in the inferno. We're easily enticed, we're easily swayed, our eyes like to linger. But God, we confess that these are not harmless sparks, that they are a road to ruin, a road to burn and burning. God, for those who have never walked down that path, I pray that you will keep them safe. A strong warning. For those who have and have escaped, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the way that you have brought um, those who were low and far, near, and high. For those who remain trapped, Father, I pray that you will stir up your spirit to bring them to your escape route. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this place of grace. Thank you for the blood of the cross that covers every, every sin. And thank you for the bright future you have wholeness, healing, reconciliation, and grace for those who follow you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.